This is the Concealed Carry Podcast, episode number 361. Welcome to the Concealed Carry Podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com network. I am your host, Riley Bowman, and joined today by Matthew Marister, Mr. Hey. Producer Extraordinaire. Yeah, every time you say that, I'm just like, uh, whatever, man. Just happy to yeah. be here and all the all the people on Facebook and everything. It's yeah. really good. And, and we added another title to you this morning in a company <laughs> meeting. He is also project manager of a special project. It's top secret. We could tell you, but then we'd have to, like, kill you, right? <laughs> That's right. That's pretty cool, though. <laughs> so, folks, today we are thrilled to be with you for this legislative news episode. We're going to cover a couple of stories, really important stuff coming to you, you out of uh, California, also New York State. And we kind of talked about that one a little bit before. I think last month's legislative news episode, we talked about uh, this New York uh, case, and uh, so that one's that, that one's interesting. I have an update on that one. We won't spend a lot of time because it's really just a, an update on where it stands currently with the Supreme Court. We've got a case out of Ohio. We've got uh, this really interesting federal court case that really just sort of kind of get it, it got squashed. Um, but today's episode made possible brought to you by Legal Boundaries by State. This is still our relatively new book that we released a couple months ago. Uh, this is a 50-state legal summary of laws from across the nation. Uh, the goal here being to help our fellow concealed carriers uh, find it easy to navigate the laws, particularly as you find yourself traveling through these different states. So take advantage of this really awesome book. Uh, it's, it is, again, it's still fairly new, but we have already updated it. And that is, I think, really cool. Because the goal here is to to publish this book regularly and frequently have it be updated. Uh, so we're only a couple months in and we've already noticed, hey, there was this error here or this little thing here or something that needed to be clarified there. And so we're trying our best to stay on top of all of that. And uh, so periodically throughout the year, there'll be, and usually these are little, it's little stuff, right? It's little stuff, um, but uh, stuff that's still important, right? Because we are talking about the laws. So head on over to concealedcarry.com forward slash gun law book and pick up a copy of the latest and up-to-date edition today. Also, today's episode sponsored by CCW Safe. Uh, I'm a member of CCW Safe now. I think it is, it's got a lot going for it. And more and more, we're seeing these states that are shutting down other competitors to CCW Safe. But to my knowledge, as of right now, CCW Safe is still the only, or one of the only, it's the only big provider of self defense coverage that is still available in all 50 states. That's pretty cool. So, ccwsafe.com is where you can learn more about CCW Safe. And our Guardian Nation members save, I think it's 15% off of a CCW Safe membership. That's pretty cool. And that alone is almost good enough reason to join Guardian Nation as well. So, if you don't know already about Guardian Nation, you should look into it. All righty, Matthew, let's get into this first story. Give us the update on the Supreme Court refuses to dismiss New York gun rights case. 
Yeah, so we covered this last month in the um, uh, legislative update, but um, so it's the same case that we talked about there where um, a the New York uh, Rifle Association is suing the state of New York because of overly restrictive gun laws, um, mainly where they can and can't transport a legally owned firearm. Um, New York law passed uh, that it only spelled out a couple of places that you could take your firearm from your home to uh, a range and, and, and other different um, restrictive places. They sued him. And uh, initially, New York said, hey, you know, tough luck. They they appealed it. And then to the Supreme Court, once the Supreme Court was like, hey, we're going to hear this case, New York kind of shuffles around and says, OK, well, we're going to we're going to fix the law. So now you're all good. Um, you know, we're good and no, no lawsuit. Right. And they're like, uh, uh-uh. so, um, they tried again to say, Hey, you should Supreme court. Don't hear the case, dismiss it, um, as moot because the, the problem has already been solved. Right. And the Supreme court says, Nope, we're going to go ahead. And, um, I believe it is December. I want to say second. December 2nd, um, that now they are going to go forward and start with the opening arguments. And, and that is the, the, the time that if there is legitimate reason to dismiss the case because everything's been rectified, um, they'll be able to make another argument like that. But it's probably it's likely to go the same way that it just did and say, hey, look, you can't change this because it's still overly restrictive and it, it, and the law, the way the law is written, you could shift it back at any time. And now um, we're, we're right back to where we started. So let's, let's solve this and say, you know, whether it's good or bad. And uh, that's yeah. going to be a super interesting case because there's hasn't been another case like this, a gun rights case in the Supreme court for, I don't know, at least 10 years. So uh, it's going to be huge. I think. Yep. Agreed. You know, in, in New York City in particular, obviously since that's the jurisdiction of this case uh, really is uh, focused on, but th- I think they are really on some shaky ground here because looking at, you know, other cases, other landmark cases like the Heller decision, the McDonald case as well, uh, this kind of, you know, again, this is looking at individuals' rights and the ability to own or possess or carry firearms in certain ju- jurisdictions where New York City is the most restrictive. Well, yeah, it is. It is the most restrictive jurisdiction in the country as far as handguns go, mm-hmm. especially, right? Well, really, I think probably it's most restrictive on just about anything, right? Because you got to have a license for everything that you own. And even just getting those licenses is such a chore. And then in just very few limited cases, are you even able to really carry those guns? Uh, you know, the fact that you got to like, uh, it's just, it's crazy, you know, as far as like how you, what you got to do to carry your gun to a shooting range in, mm-hmm. in New York, you know, it's just insane. So yeah, not being able to transport your firearm outside city limits. Yeah. <laughs> and that's just it's crazy. <laughs> like, why should they even care? Like they should be like thankful I'm taking outside of city limits. Right. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. It's, oh it's man! I, but I, I really think this is going to be the first domino in a lot of these like really laws that, on face value, seem to totally be at odds with the Constitution. But they're still, you know, implementing it at the state level. And I think this is going to be that domino. That's like, okay, 
let's go and let's fight these cases because they're all unconstitutional. So, yeah. So a comment from Matthew says uh, Heller versus DC was big, unfortunately not big enough. And, you know, to that point that the, the Supreme court, and I think very much intentionally so, and I think it's correctly so in, in most situations is very cautious about taking up cases that have overly broad implications, Right, it's about defining some of these specifics uh, that we find in some of these cases, and so while we, w- so let's just be clear. I know that some of us would love for the Supreme Court to take up some case that would clarify some big, you know, infringement and remove it from the Second Amendment that would apply in all conditions, all across all fifty states. But if the Supreme Court can rule on something so broadly, which they could, it's just that they're very cautious about doing so. But realize if they can do that, then they can also rule on things that have broad implications in all other aspects of our life. In some cases, to it, you know, to our detriment. And so, so I, I think it's wise to have a court that's careful about the cases that they hear, even though we know. get these cases like this that we'd like to have. You know, as it relates to the Second Amendment, these these broad, uh, uh, you know, ch- you know, uh, like I say, clarifications or re- removement of removement, removing of infractions, or infractions, infringements. I can't get the right words out of my mouth today. Uh, removing of infringements from the Second Amendment. Um. So anyway, we'll we'll c- continue following that case. So s- December second, they will hear arguments, but then we won't hear a ruling one way or another until the spring, typically. Mm-hmm. It's like April, May, something like that. No. Anyway, next story, uh, assault on firearm industry fails. F- federal court dismisses Ohio lawsuit. Now, this is one that was clearly uh, kind of a result of that terrible shooting that happened in Dayton not too long ago. Uh, Matthew, as you are mm-hmm. probably even more... Um, personally aware uh being you know what what is dayton an hour and a half two hours away from you about an hour yeah an hour yes not very far brother no no so there was a lawsuit filed in in federal court in ohio against smith and wesson remington sig sauer and other gun manufacturers arising from a class action suit brought by primus group llc which primus is a or maybe it's primus but i I don't know. We'll go with Primus. They are an owner of restaurants and nightclubs. Uh, in uh, they're based in Ohio, or at least the company is, and so they they chose to sue these companies uh, to try to, you know, because they sell and manufacture assault weapons, right? So like trying to either shut them down on that and or. I guess collect money. I don't know what. I don't know why they'd have, you know, uh, uh, any standing in this necessarily. But does it say anywhere that this these guys are the owner of any of those clubs or restaurants in Dayton were that was impacted by that shooting? No, no. It's it, just a. It seems like an overly like, hey, this happened somewhere, and we own all these restaurants and businesses and stuff, and now we have to invest in security, and now it's it's we're we're suffering a, a, a monetary loss because people are scared to go to go to restaurants mm-hmm. and and nightclubs because of what happened. 
happen. Um, you know, we weren't, you know, it didn't happen to us or anybody we're representing. It just, um, you know, we're, we're feeling some sort of monetary, you know, setback yeah. because of that. And, um, yeah, I thought it was yeah. kind of, I, I, I was along with you like reading and I'm like, Hi, I, 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 you know, it's like one of those things where you say A for effort, but it's <laughs> like, it, I, I don't know where you're going with this, right? Like, um, they, what you were mentioned about, um, other laws and, and collecting money, they, they wanted, um, those organizations to be required to like, uh, enforce, like not enforce laws, but help draft laws that would, um, basically take these guns off the streets and they would no longer be able to sell them. I mean, it was basically this weird, like we are going to make law and, you know, we want monetary damages from these companies. It was, it was just bizarre and rightfully yeah. so it was dismissed pretty right. quickly. And just, and, and so to the point I was making, I, I, again, like you just pointed out sitting here going through this, it's like, what standing do they have? Right. You know? And that's basically why I was dismissed. So, <laughs> yeah. uh, there you go. But they were making all kinds of arguments, you know, and, and using, of course, the very popular anti-gun uh, lingo that is so common right now in these days, you know, referring to assault weapons and assaultive capacity and overwhelming firepower. That that's one I know I've noticed is being used all the time. Like if you watched the, those uh, that hearing on assault weapons, you know, in the House Judiciary Committee just, what, a month ago now? Right. Uh, <clears throat> where uh, that that was something I, that was kind of thrown out there again and again and again, you know, this, like, overwhelming firepower, you know, how people can just spray bullets everywhere and kill so many people. And well, the irony of the, Yeah, right. And the, the irony <laughs> of it is that spraying bullets is not the most effective way of, like, actually taking people out but that's beside the point but anyway so it's just they're they're doing everything they can to use this language uh to paint guns in a uh, very negative light yeah so it's all about the gun and not anything to do with personal responsibility or uh, other people related <laughs> matters anyway and it's speaking of uh speaking of language there was a word in he, in this article that was pretty cool. I've never used it or heard of it. And this will be the word of the day for everybody who's listening. Uh, panoply. Mm. Okay. Yep. Um, a complete or impressive collection of things. So in the, in the article, it says they, they wanted the court to order a panoply of gun control that would have included confiscation. Mm. Just your yep. educational word of the day, guys. There you go. <laughs> Right, right, David here commenting on Facebook. Yes, weapons of war. Yes, oh, that yes. we hear that one as well, just again and again. <laughs> These weapons of war must be taken off the streets. Speaking of more anti-gun legislation uh, type stuff, California here uh, just signed into law ooh, like two weeks ago now. Uh, Governor Newsom signed bills AB 1254 and SB 172. Assembly Bill 1254 <clears throat> prohibits the ability to hunt, trap, or otherwise take a bobcat, except in specified circumstances, including depredation permits. So that one was a very specific to hunting and a type of animal that you well, now may not hunt, essentially. Uh, and then Senate Bill 172 
this one is a little bit more concerning, especially just in a general Second Amendment uh, side of things. Uh, it says it would expand California's existing storage laws and include harsher harsh penalties, such as a 10-year ban on firearm ownership. Uh, so, you know, basically what it says here is that reading the bill from the bill language itself, uh, the bill would authorize a temporary transfer of a firearm without a firearm dealer's participation to a person who is 18 years of older for safekeeping to prevent it from being used to attempt suicide as specified. Uh, that actually doesn't sound like a bad thing necessarily, but it would, oh, wait, hold on. No, it's acknowledging, let me make sure I'm reading this correctly. Existing law, subject to exception, generally requires, okay, no, no. So actually that's not necessarily a bad thing, but where it gets more concerning is deeper down, talks about some increased penalties about what can happen if, uh, a person that's unauthorized to have a firearm, you know, is allowed to have one, including a child. So if you, if a child or otherwise prohibited person gets a hold of a firearm, uh, it, you know, and it's your firearm, like you should be responsible for it. What this would allow to ha- allow to happen would be that you could be convicted of a of this crime and prohibited from owning a firearm for ten years. Wow, that's a long time. Yeah. That's I mean, I, you don't time. you don't even get ten years in prison or, or for you know uh, manslaughter. You know what I mean? Like you're out in six years, but it, yep, it seems very punitive to me. I think. Yeah, yeah, you know, and and it doesn't necessarily say that like that's a result of of uh, so you know something bad happening with that farm. I don't know how this would be necessarily enforced, but basically, if you are found to not be properly storing a firearm. Okay, it says right here that you it would make a crime of criminal storage applicable to the storage of an unloaded firearm. Okay, it would be a crime for a person who's been convicted of this crime to own. Oh, I already said that part. Sorry, I was trying to find the other part here. Uh, so basically, if you that's right, existing law means that you could be convicted of allowing a child to have access to a firearm if that firearm was loaded. So this now expands it to an even an unloaded firearm. Now, we're all for safe storage of firearms here at concealedcarry.com, right? Like, we've, we've been consistent about preaching that for a long time. Like, I'm all for, like, I, I want people to be responsible with their firearms. At the same time, I'm very wary of further government intrusion into our lives, including on stuff like, even like this. I know that some people out there would think this is crazy because it's a public safety issue and it, it should seem like it's common sense for there to be a law requiring, you know, firearms to be stored a certain way with harsh penalties. But these penalties, I think, are really, really, really overly, I mean, they go too far. And I also think that a person should be, we should be, I know this is, this, this might sound crazy to the other side, right? But like, we should be trusted <laughs> to handle things of, you know, the way we see fit and the way we see is, is, is best for us in our household, right? It, I mean, it says child, right? So, you know, you might find yourself in a position where you have a single child or this only child left at home and that child is 16 years or 17 years of age and technically still by law, right? A child. But at some point, I as a parent should have a right to be like, you know, I, I am comfortable with, I trust my 16 or 17-year-old 
with having access to this particular firearm, and I may want that. I may specifically want that in certain cases of for their own protection, right? So I know that sounds crazy to some people out there, but maybe that's what I think is best for me and my household and for my child. And we can certainly point to examples where children have been able to gain access to a firearm in defense of themselves and or their household. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Right? So I'm not trying to like put any one particular hard, fast rule about things. I'm just saying that I used as an example, you know, well, maybe I have a 16 or 17 year old that I'm, I'm comfortable with having certain, mm, you know, liberties as it relates to act, you know, firearm access. Right. And, and, and so, you know, that, that should be left to the parent and to the household. Yeah, and right. I agree 100% with all you're saying. And I think everybody who listens to this is like, yeah, I mean, we don't obviously want our firearms to be used in crimes, to for in suicides, uh, accidental deaths or injuries. I mean, of course not, right? That's, that's not what we want. My problem with these laws is the implementation and how they're how they must be enforced. And you can only enforce these laws if you give up further rights, like, like in New York, right? Like the only way they can check and make sure that you're using the correct safe is by you agreeing to periodic inspections. And that is, that is it. it, So, you know, I don't want to say the slippery slope because it's used all the time and people just, okay, whatever, slippery slope. But I mean, the implementation of many of these laws cannot be implemented without you sacrificing other rights. And that's where, you know, there, there is a balance between responsibility and, and, and protection, right? Like, I always think of it as like the zoo, right? That like animals in a zoo are protected, they're fed, they're given medical care, everything. Whereas out in the wild, yeah, their predators are going to come up and scoop them up and kill them, right? Yep. Um, you can either live in a zoo and be super protected and fed and and you get the food and the environment and get to go wherever the zookeeper wants you to, or you go out and you live out in the wild and you risk death and injury and all kinds of stuff, but you're free to do what you want. Yep. So I, I don't know which one people want, but if they want the zoo, I mean, you can certainly get the zoo by giving these people all your freedoms. So yep. Now, to be fair, and when I first read that language, I didn't interpret the way, but as I'm reading again, I'm pretty sure that first line in that bill does create an exception where you can temporarily loan firearms to somebody, you know, not and not have to go through a dealer in cases where it's it's done for like a mental health reason. So that's actually a good thing. But mm-hmm. that's as far as I read this bill, that's the only good thing that came out of this bill, right? Everything else is going too far and too extreme. So I'm actually surprised that that's that little component's even in this particular bill. Um, I wish we had, you know, we have universal background checks here in Colorado now, and we don't have an exception like that. And I think that's a bunch of bull crap (laughs) because that should absolutely, that should be encouraged, right? Where temporary loan of a firearm because of, well, honestly, it shouldn't, we shouldn't have to ask for for permission of anything as it relates to this. But if we're going to have that universal background check law, like we do here in Colorado, then there should absolutely be an exception in there for some of those kind of situations. So anyway. Yep. Agree, man. 
Uh, Chad uh, Enos from Caltech here, he commenting, uh, uh, he, he says that if somebody, or asks the question, if somebody steals my car and runs over a group of people, am I responsible for the injuries or death? Yeah. Uh, I, <laughs> well, you, I, I'm pretty sure you know our thoughts on this, but the same logic I think these people would try to use potentially even a situation like that. In fact, it wouldn't surprise me at all if somewhere in the United States of America, somebody's tried to pass a law, something to that effect, that if you left your car unlocked or something and somebody was able to steal it and then killed somebody with it, that you would be liable for it. That would not surprise me at all because it's the same kind of attitude and it's it's a, it's a disgrace. Yep, yep, yep. Um, by the way, Ben, he's asking the question, are we defining child by a specific age? It, it actually mentions in the bill language that it refers to 18 years and up. Uh, so it, as being like the exception, right? So like the way I read it is that if they're under the age of 18, then they would uh, be considered a child, um, at least how I was reading the, the bill language there. So all righty. Um, on to another one here. Matthew, give us a rundown. There are seven additional bills. And this came like yeah. a few days later. So after those first two were signed by Governor Newsom, he signed seven more. And there's some really interesting stuff in these seven bills. So tell us what these ones are about. Yeah, I'll go over them really briefly. We'll yeah, you, <laughs> you'll have to be brief for sure because there's right. so many of them. <laughs> right. But and I know many of our listeners probably don't live in California, but we kind of always give this disclaimer that even these laws that are happening in California, New York, uh, Washington, Cal Colorado, they started somewhere and the, the seeds are planted somewhere and the seeds are normally planted in these states and then they spread um, to other states. So we, you know, we have, we can't just turn our back and be like, oh, okay, well, it's California. I don't care. Um, we should care. Right. Um, so here are the, here are the seven bills that came after those other two assembly bill 12, um, would extend the duration of California's gun violence restraining order from one year to five years. So here we go with, okay, we got the little foothold. We just want common sense, you know, gun violence restraining orders. Isn't that good? And now, okay, well, let's tweak it. Let's, let's pick it up a notch. Let's go to five years. And inevitably this will be 25 years, 50 years, then, then there'll be a ban, right? Like what's the point? So mm -hmm. uh, that goes up to five years. Um, some assembly bill 61 would ex expand the list of those eligible to file gun violence restraining orders. And we'll talk about this specifically in another, uh, uh, article, but, um, be besides the already authorized petitioners, immediate family member and law enforcement, the new law is expanded to employees or employers, coworkers, and employees of a secondary or post-secondary school that the person had attended for the last six months. Wow. That is see, dangerous. See, this is where we're already starting to get, you know, so we're going down that slippery slope of just about anybody can, you know, report on you. Right. Right. I mean, like when a, when a coworker, I mean, yeah, we're not, this is not very far removed from just your neighbor. Yeah. Right. It, it, it will be, I, I guarantee you, you just, just, just wait. Um, and we'll talk about it again and, and why that's a really important one. Um, Assembly Bill 879 um, would require precursor firearm parts to be sold, transferred through a licensed precursor parts dealer, um, similar to like just buying, you know, uh, your ammunition in California now that you need to pass a, uh, a registration che check or uh, yeah, registration check. Um, mm -hmm. Precursor firearm parts are like uh, your 80% lowers and, and things like that, right? 
So, um, so you can't make your ghost guns, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Assembly Bill 893, sponsored by Assembly Member Todd Gloria, would prohibit the sale of firearms and ammunition at the Del Mar Fairgrounds. We've covered this a couple times. Uh, mm-hmm. Del Mar is the site of you know years and years of gun gun. Um, uh, gun sales, gun shows. They, gun shows, exactly. And there has been going fight back and forth. And now they just like, oh, okay, we'll just pass the law. We won't let, you know, we're not going to have any more uh, gun shows there at the Del Fairgrounds. Sorry about that, guys. I, I love this next one, by the way. Yes. You want to cover 12, 1297? Yeah. So Assembly Bill 1297, sponsored by uh, uh, Kevin McCarty, would remove the maximum fee a local authority can charge on the concealed carry permit application. Boom. That guy is smart if you want to be anti-gun, right? Because everybody's focused on everything else. And he says, well, let's just like kind of let the local jurisdiction charge whatever they want. 600 bucks to for a concealed carry license. That you, we don't have to like legislate or get in the argument of a shall issue. May it, let's just let's just charge them 600 bucks. We we essentially yeah. people from getting concealed carry license. So that one is like a sneaky, you know. That's the that's the uh, Statue of Liberty play, right? Uh, that was pretty sneaky. Um, let's see, Assembly Bill sixteen. Yeah, we're still going sixteen sixty nine would raise the fees paid by consumers when purchasing firearms. Um, basically, um, they are. When your DROS fee or DROS check goes in, they're going to f- charge more. Um, basically, to um, to be able to do whatever they want. Like uh, I think in here it says, um, let me see. The bill for massive cost pressures on the legislators. So um, ammunition and background checks and long gun registrations. So basically, um, to further gun control, they're going to charge gun owners more money to further their gun control uh, agendas. Uh, not, not, not great. And then we'll wrap it up with Senate bill 61 um, would expand California's existing one handgun a month to apply to handguns or center fired semi-automatic rifles with limited exceptions. Um, and it would expands the prohibition on acquisition of firearms by a person under 20 years, 21 years by eliminating the existing exception for 18 to 20 year olds with a valid hunting license. So you can no longer um, buy a, fi- a firearm if you're under 20 or, or a long gun, if you're under 21 and want to go hunting. Jeez. Unfortunate. Yeah. I'm just shaking my head here. Cause I'm just like, uh, the floodgates are just right. wide open, you know, right. <laughs> like, like what else can we push through? You know, Ugh. holy smokes. It's disgusting. Yeah, and, and I know we have a number of listeners that uh, live in California. You know, Jerry is one and, uh, and uh, I can't think of the other dude right now, but I know, <laughs> well, Mark, uh, I don't think Mark is on here today, but I know he's down, he's in the LA area. Uh, I think Everest, Everest, are you in California? I think you are. Uh, and I mean, you know, several of you are, are, are out there, uh, that are just, you know, watching and listening right now. Uh, I, I'm sorry for you guys. I, I'm sorry. Um, mm-hmm. but again, to your point, you said a, a minute ago, Matthew, I mean, looking to California is a, is a great way of looking at what is probably coming to your neck of the woods in the next year or two. Right. Yeah. Uh, Colorado, my state, my current home state is, is just following right along behind. 
you know, what everything, whatever California is doing, I guarantee you there, there are folks right here in Colorado that are looking at that and they're like, hmm, that's a good idea. Every legislator in the state of Colorado is, is allowed five bills that they can sponsor every session. And our session each year runs from the beginning of the year, January up through the end of April, I think, or sometime in April. Uh, so, you know, California's got stuff going on like year round. It's a big state. I get it. Uh, but uh, our legislators, they get five bills. And, you know, I guarantee you there's guys looking at, there's already, at least right now, there are eight bills that we know about as of right now that are all pretty scary bills here in Colorado that are, you know, going for greater gun control in Colorado. And it's stuff just like what we've seen in California, uh, you know, last year, the year before, five years ago, it's, you know, this, this stuff has just been, they've been sitting there waiting, biding their time. Certain things couldn't get passed or pushed through Colorado uh, until this last election because we still had somewhat of a balanced government, sort of, sort of. Uh, but now we've got a very, uh, you know, again, we try to stay apolitical or or uh, nonpartisan with the podcast, but it's rec- you know we have to recognize that what we have right now in Colorado, it, and this is happening in more and more states, uh, just because that's the way this last election went. But we we are seeing you know where we've got our House, our Senate, and our governor's seat all controlled by Democrats. Yeah, and so yeah, this next session should be really interesting for us here. Um, someone's asking me if I'll move if Colorado gets bad. It's already bad. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, would I? Uh, that's a comp. That's a complex question, Michael. Would I move? Uh, I, I'm not going to say anything specific one way or another right now. But let's just say that it's something that I'm always looking at and considering, right? But I'm a father of five kids all in school, and I have a wife, and there's other things that have to be considered, right? Like, I, I it can't just be because one particular law is passed that I say, all right, family, time to uproot, you know, and move. It, it, it's not quite that simple. Um, but anyway. So, all right, good luck out there, folks in California. We'll pray for you. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, man. <laughs> Um, all right. Story here. Federal court entertains bizarre legal theories that threaten gun owners and the rule of law. So this is a interesting story. Um, I'm going to encourage you to go and read this one because there's, there's some interesting detail there. Uh, I'm going to kind of quote from it here. So I don't, cause if I try to, um, if I try to paraphrase this, I'll probably get it wrong. Um, basically, in the 1990s, it says here, trial lawyers and their allies in the government sought to bankrupt the gun industry by holding their, them accountable for criminal actions of third parties, right? And that's how we ended up with the uh, PLCAA or PLCCA or whatever. It's that it's the law that protects manufacturers, uh, and they can't be held liable for the actions of third parties, right? And I know it's a controversial law. I mean, not necessarily to folks like me or you, Matthew, but uh, – you know, when you look at the average American and they're, they hear all this propaganda as it relates to guns and gun laws, uh, it's very easy to be swayed on these kind of matters, right? Um, but it's actually, a, I think, a very good thing that we have that law in place because otherwise, boy, these, they're, already, they, they're constantly chipping at that and trying to find a, a way around that law. 
uh, with these, you know, we just talked about that lawsuit in Ohio, right? Mm -hmm. That was shut down. That was, I said it was because it didn't have standing in the case, but it also referenced that law. Um, and so if that wasn't in place, just imagine how much worse it would be. Every time we have one of these shootings, boy, every one of these manufacturers would be on the hook. I mean, it would literally run them out of business. Uh, we would not have Remington and Sig Sauer and, and Smith & Wesson. Like, the, you know, because the floodgates would just open wide and it would be free reign on on their heads, these companies' heads, uh, because of stuff that crazy people have done with their guns. And that's not right. Anyway, so um says here, continuing on, a theory that would have overturned hundreds of years of established tort law. After failing to stop campus carry legislation in Texas in 2015, a group of professors filed a suit claiming that the state's recognition of the right to carry in the classroom unlawfully infringed on their First Amendment rights to academic freedom. I and remember that. Yeah, we talked yeah. about that uh, as well uh, a lot, quite a while ago. That That's going back a number of episodes. In October 2018, a group of individuals representing minors in Chicago filed a federal lawsuit in the U.S. District Court for the Northern District of Illinois Eastern Division against the state of Illinois and the Department of State Police. The plaintiffs contended that Chicago's pervasive violence is causing children, including the plaintiffs, to become psychologically disabled and unable to perform adequately in school. Therefore, the plaintiffs contended under the Federal Americans with Disabilities Act, Illinois officials are required to enact an itemized list of severe new gun control regulations in order to accommodate these individuals so they may do better in school and partake in federally assisted law enforcement programs designed to protect the people of the state. So, okay, hold on. All right, so the summary of this is, I just word it, read it verbatim, right? So are we all on the same page here? Basically, children are scared because they've heard about these different things that have occurred, you know, with guns, mm -hmm. right, and shootings and whatnot, and thus they cannot perform in school because they are psychologically disabled because of this. If this isn't about the, the, the biggest stretch of, you know, trying <laughs> to find some way right to get around all these laws and go after whoever they can right and to further use the courts to take you know basically infringe on the second amendment right boy i mean and, and this is about got to be about the most snowflake you know idea i've heard in quite some time i mean this is this is phenomenal our children are becoming psychologically disabled because of violence committed with guns yeah I, I mean the disgusting thing about it is that argument is in there because they're trying to use the uh ada uh disabilities law right, right. like and so if that's not despicable like i i mean i understand you're trying to win a case or you're trying to make your your your, your case right but that's just like that's it's just disgusting to to put yourself to to kind of minimize the ADA, the importance of, you know, making sure that people with real disabilities have access and are not getting, you know, um, uh, discriminated against or, or getting excluded from things. Right. I mean, that's, that's a legitimate thing and that's great. And we should all be happy about that, but to kind of like use that in a disgusting way to try to push gun control, it, I think it's kind of a new low, honestly. 
Oh, yeah, you're not. You're absolutely right about that. This is just a phenomenal stretch uh, to go from this shooting. At, I mean, and by the way, keep in mind that we're talking Chicago and Illinois here, right? Uh, where they already have stricter gun laws than most of the country to begin with, right? And so it's like, um, you guys have already passed all this gun control. And you still have this violence problem in Chicago. And yet you're trying to say that you need more gun control because of the lack of gun control. <laughs> your kids are getting psychologically disabled and can't perform in school. All right. I, I, I'm getting dumber just trying to think about it and explain it. So <laughs> I think it's time to move on because I, I can't afford to lose any more brain cells. I already can't talk. <laughs> And get words, you know, form words in my mouth and put it through this microphone for the <laughs> for the listeners. All right, so Matthew, the, the story I added uh, to today's episode is uh, B A T F E, right? ATF drops eighty percent receiver case in California. Fears precedent. This uh, fantastic uh, yeah. article written by Dean Weingarten at Amaland. Um, this is a fascinating case. Okay, so basically you had this guy, Joseph Rowe, I think is how you say his last name, R-O-H. He opened a business. It was in the business of facilitating Mm -hmm. (laughs) manufacturing of of firearms, right? So basically it was like – and by the way, there was a guy I met a few years ago here in Colorado that was doing something similar, and I think he got shut down. Um, To be honest with you, I don't – know exactly where that all ended up. I just remember kind of crossing paths with him and I'm like, oh, that's interesting. And also sounds kind of risky as a business plan, but like, whatever, that sounds cool. It's, I mean, like conceptually, I'm like, that's awesome. And basically it was, is like the business is have CNC machines and all this stuff, you know, all the equipment that where you could CNC. So, so you could mill, cut, finish, and, you know, put together per, in, in basically a professional sort of way, right? Because you'd have all the right tools and equipment to do so. Uh, to have all that equipment in place under a roof, you know, under your roof, and you're just sort of like supervising, like you're, you're just facilitating it, right? It's like, here's this equipment. So literally it was kind of like this. Uh, you would take an 80% receiver and you would stick, they would show you, okay, put it in this vice or in these in between <laughs> these clamps in the CNC machine right. and then close the door and then hit this green button that says start. Right. And, and like, here you go, Riley. Like, you want to build your own AR 15? You want to mill your own 80% lower? Like, here's an 80% lower. That it's not a, it's not a, uh, uh, regulated right. item. Right. It doesn't have a serial number. It's not, you know, you can just all in 80, and it, the, the lead image in this article is perfect because, uh, Dean shows an 80%, he calls it an 80% paperweight. That's basically what it is. <laughs> it's just a chunk of aluminum. Right, and then he shows a finished one, and you can see the amount of work that goes that's that's involved in finishing that receiver. Right, so that's basically what it was. Here's this eighty percent receiver. You pay us whatever you know dollar amount for it. Stick it in this machine. Hit start. It mills it. Then you assemble it, and voila. Right, that's basically what this business was all about. And was, the business was R O H G Industries. Um, ATF was constantly trying to shoot shut this guy down. And they succeed, you know, a couple times he had to change some of his practices. He, he kept trying to, you know, skirt the so-called law, right? But what we really learned through all this is that ATF is really making up a lot of their own rules. Yep. Right? And in fact, this is where this case has led to. As this guy was charged and as he was fighting his own case, 
his attorney and him argued brilliantly, I will just say, that according to the actual law, <laughs> what the law actually says as in defining what is a firearm, right? And he uses some very specific language, right? We're going back to the Gun Control Act of 1968, where a lot of these definitions uh, come from, right? And so the language is, let me see if I can find that again. I'm sorry, I'm scrolling. I'm constantly like scrolling around. But basically to define a receiver, it's it's a part that, I'm, I'm going to paraphrase, it, it usually, it, it typically has like your bolt, and firing pin and trigger mechanism and the part that the barrel connects to. Like that's kind of like the core components of a receiver. Right. It's it's the receiver is the part that has your your firing mechanism, your trigger, your bolt, your firing pin and the barrel typically connects to it. Right? Like that's the definition. And they argued pretty much successfully because ATF got to a point where it's like, um, yeah, we're not going to really pursue this anymore because they were afraid of what this would lead to if it was pushed further. Correct. And so um, basically what he argued was that, well, an AR-15 doesn't really fit this definition because you have a lower receiver, which has been defined by the ATF as being the part that's controlled, has the serial number, right? What does a lower receiver have? It has the trigger mechanism. That's it. That's it. And then the upper receiver, which is non-controlled, has the barrel attachment, right? It uh, That's where the barrel extension screws into. And then you have your bolt and your firing pin, right? And all those items are not controlled. The lower receiver is what's controlled. And they basically pointed out that um, according to the definition, we're just reading the law from the Gun Control Act and what it <laughs> says. And so like – and basically what what what, what – what they accomplished in arguing is that an AR-15 does it the way the law is currently worded, it can't be regulated because mm-hmm. it doesn't have a traditional receiver. And the way they've been doing it is just by passing like inter um, agency like opinions. So basically mm-hmm. they've been in, they, they've been classifying things by opinion, not by the definition in the law. Mm-hmm. Yep. And the ATF has had – now, regulatory agencies do have some discretion with some of these things, right? Like that's the point of of an executive branch is, you, you know, the legislative branch passes laws. The executive branch has to then enforce it. And sometimes in the enforcement of laws, some clarifications, you know, there's, there's some leeway as to what can be interpreted and then refined through regulation, all right? Uh, and then that's where we're free to, we don't like the inter- interpretation or particular regulation. Well, we sue the federal government. We say, we don't like this. This is not, not constitutional or whatever. Right. Um, and that's basically kind of where this was headed. And then that's when the federal government backed off and was like, mm, uh, we're, we're willing to settle, you know, some <laughs> stuff here and just work this out with you so that this doesn't go any further and turn into something we don't want it to. Cause they were afraid that like the whole, definition and everything and how an eight an AR-15 is regulated, all that could just be like thrown out. Yeah. And it would just be like free, you know, like just, <laughs> they just, they didn't want to see it turn into like a lawless land as it relates to AR-15s and like anybody could just do whatever they want with them. Um, 
Now, our, admittedly, like that would probably result, that would probably lead to um, the passage of additional law, mm-hmm. right? Because I guarantee you, the current makeup of our government, our our house, our Senate would be like, uh, we got to do something about this. And that's always a scary thing to put politicians in the position of fixing, supposedly fixing, you know, a problem with a law like that. So, because uh, we could end up with something worse than what we where we originally were. So anyway, I mean, yeah, but imagine, I mean, the, the, the can of worms that they were trying to squash just as a little like tidbit. If you, if you guys read this, this story or dive into the story, the dude actually, they, he was selling guns to like gang members. He was selling guns yeah. to people or not, maybe not selling guns, but I think that, that he, he might've sold guns or they traced some guns that were uh, the gang members had and they were selling them to Mexico and all kinds of, I mean, this dude was not just like, Oh, he did one or two. He was like legit, um, you know, skirting the law or using the law to its very, you know, the very edge of it. And they were willing to not even go forward. Some of the other stuff, obviously he was, he was found guilty of, but this specific topic uh, they were willing to just kind of shelve. Yep. Yep. But interesting case, really crazy. Yeah. Yeah. And the fact that this has gotten out like it has, I've seen this reported a few places, including on some more mainstream uh, media outlets uh, shows that, you know, that the ATF wanted this just to go away. Mm-hmm. The federal government wanted this just to get buried. Like, Oh, Hey, you know what? Didn't see this coming. <laughs> we don't, we don't want to push that issue. So let's just bury this. And the word's gotten out. And it's interesting because it, this, this likely will still lead, I think, to something. I think somebody else is going to pick up the torch with this one and run with it. Uh, as far as push the issue of, you know, what defines a receiver? What about 80%, you know, lowers and receivers and, you know, polymer 80 glocks and, you know, like they just, there's a, there's a lot that we could get into with this. And I think that's why the government wanted it just to go away, but the word's already out. And I think it's quite a, uh, an interesting and I mean, basically the judge was agreeing with the defendant in this, with his, with his logic, Mm -hmm. like, Oh yeah, this is a good point. Like that doesn't really fit the definition, right? So that's that's where this gets really interesting. Um and and yeah, so we'll see if this leads to anything else. Um Matthew asked a question, interesting question. I've I've researched this a little bit. Um and and by the way, Matthew, to, he had he had another question too about uh so he actually asked two questions here and I would say with everything going on surrounding this case, I think it calls into question a lot of regulation that the ATF has in place, right? So who knows what actually you can and cannot do. But one question he asks here is if you build an if you build your own AR15, let's say, or just you if you build your own gun, say from like a 80% lower. Cuz I mean, let's just be clear. The law allows an individual to manufacture their own firearm uh and you know for their own personal use. Right, as long as you don't manufacture it with the intent of selling it or distributing it, you you can make your own guns. The thing is, most people don't have the ability to make their own guns. 
Now, with the advent of 80% lowers and 80% Glock, you know, kits and all that stuff, it's it's made a lot easier for the average man to make their own gun. And Matthew tells me he's got to run, which is yeah, we've kind of hit his point. And it, it we're we're basically at the end here anyway. But Matthew, you got if you got to duck out, duck out, brother. We Thanks, appreciate guys. You. Thanks. Um, so and ever says here, don't call it an 80% AR, call it a random block of a material. Yeah, that's it, basically what it is. 80% has just become a, a term. It actually doesn't even have any, mm, it's not even a thing, even if you read in ATF regulations. Uh, so anyway, but, uh, so as far as manufacturing your own gun, you can ultimately sell or transfer a firearm that you manufactured yourself. But, you know, I would encourage you to, I'm not an attorney and don't trust anything that I say here. Uh, but basically, if somehow they could show that your intent was to make it and sell it or distribute it, then they basically say you've broken the law. But if that wasn't your intent, I mean, that's the thing. Like, how do you measure intent? That's a tough one, right? And that's where it gets kind of gray. So now, um, I, I've, I've, I've built an 80%, you know, I've, I've built a polymer 80 clock, right? I actually did it on camera. We did it for, uh, our local, one of our local news stations. They, they reached out to us, said, Hey, do you guys know anything about this? I said, sure, we can, we can talk to you about that. And they ultimately they wanted me to build one on camera, which I did. They didn't show all the steps or anything like that. They just kind of showed kind of, you know, a little bit of what goes into it. And it's not that hard necessarily, but I built it and I built it for myself and, I don't intend to do anything with that. Okay, it's but it's a it's my legally manufactured personal firearm and that's that's totally allowable. Now down the road I could maybe consider selling that. But I'll tell you this much for sure. If you built one and then turned around and sold it like 2 weeks later, yeah, that looks pretty suspicious. Or even a few months later probably looks still a little bit suspicious. Again, pretty hard to measure that intent piece, but I'd rather not flirt with the feds on this kind of stuff. Uh, anyway, what bearing do you think, so each shoots and leaves tactical, uh, what bearing do you think this has on the whole issue with that company distributing AR-15 CAD files that several state AGs try to stifle? I think it's actually a totally different issue, uh, in that that one's more of, I think, a first amendment issue, personally speaking, whereas this other one is more of a issue as it relates to how the, the, the law is defined. Right. There's a very specific definition in the Gun Control Act. And this particular case, this 80% receiver case, uh, is, is specific to that. And distributing information really is a First Amendment thing. So I, I kind of see it as two different issues. Um, but there could be some overlap there somewhere. I don't know. Interesting. And then uh, just because it's asked, uh, and I'll address it because it's easy to address, um, have I tested those Polymer 80 kits very often? Are they reliable? And I will say that they can be reliable. Um, actually, when I first built mine, it uh, was not reliable. Um, and that had to do with just, you know, you kind of need to have a little bit of knowledge about what makes for a good gun and be able to look it over and be like, Oh, Hey, there's this little thing I need to trim or this thing I need to, you know, basically I, I built it, but 
after the fact realized there was a little piece of plastic that needed to be trimmed. And it was slowing down my slide uh, cycling, which was causing some some uh, actually failure to eject uh, malfunctions. So solving that, and then it ran, it's basically 100% liable at this point. But probably your average Joe, and especially those people, so there's a lot of people show you too online, like here's how you can build one of these just using a Dremel. Uh, I actually used a more of a proper kind of, not really a mill, but I have a drill press with uh, uh, XY axis, you know, uh, 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 vice or whatever. I'm trying to think there's a proper term for it, but I can't think of it all of a sudden. And so you can control that. It's sort of like having a mill. Um, and and so that's, that's how I did mine and was able to do things a lot more precisely. And even then I still had a little bit of an issue with some material that needed to be trimmed. And so if you're out there carving away on one with a Dremel, uh, it's probably hit or miss as to whether it's going to be reliable or not. Anyway, enough about that topic. Interesting case. I thought it was worthwhile discussing, and uh, it'll be just really fascinating to see if this goes anywhere else. So today's episode was made possible, brought to you by CCW Safe. Encourage you to check them out. Uh, we highly recommend CCW Safe. Now, yes, we may be biased. We actually are sponsored by them now. You may you may think that, but I'll tell you what has kind of come to be accepted as the industry standard as far as comparisons between all these different self-defense coverages. If you go to concealedcarry.com forward slash insurance, on that page, we have an excellent chart that without any opinion or anything like that, it's just purely reporting on the facts of what these different programs actually cover or don't cover. And you can look at that chart and make the decision yourself, which one is the right one for you. For me, I already knew this was coming even before it they became a sponsor, but CCW Safe was looking better and better all the time. So anyway, ccwsafe.com, that's where you can find them. And again, if you're just looking for information, go to concealedcarry.com forward slash insurance, and I think you'll find that information on that page and that that comparison chart very helpful. There's also links to all the different players on that page as well. So pretty easy to find and navigate and, and make your decision and go from there. Also, today's episode made possible by our Legal Boundaries by State book. This travel guide for American gun owners is super handy, super clear, easy to read and understand, and is just a great reference to have in your vehicle, particularly if you travel around. So pick a copy up today at concealedcarry.com forward slash gun law book. David asks, how up to date is the chart? We update it as quickly as we can. As soon as we learn that there is a issue somewhere on there, we fix it. And a lot of times now, like these companies are watching that. We get, we get, they they reach out to us and say, by the way, we changed this thing in our policy. You need to update your chart. And so you'll see, and actually on the chart, the bottom right hand corner, it lists the last date that it was updated. And you'll see it's typically within the last month or two. So, uh, is it updated for New Jersey? I uh, I used to be personally responsible for updating the chart, and I've been removed from that because I've got so many other things to work on. I think it has, but maybe it hasn't. I'll have to double check on that, Everest. So if you go there and you see under, um, so like uh, USCCA was one of those that was affected by that change in New Jersey. Um, if you see that it mentions New Jersey is excluded from their coverage, then it means it's updated. 
If it doesn't, then it probably hasn't been yet. All righty. Uh, it is time to announce our weekly raffle winner. This week, it, the winner is receiving a random selection of patches uh, that we have here. Just kind of, we got a bunch of stuff just sitting around the office. So uh, I, w- I won't tell you everything that's in those patches. In fact, I don't have them here with me. Uh, so today's winner, though, is Tim. Last name starts with B, the letter B as in boy. Tim B is the winner of this week's raffle or podcast prize. He wins a selection of patches, and uh, congrats to Tim. That's awesome. We'll get those sent out to him right away. This next week's raffle or prize is for a 0.44 fluid ounce uh, little can or bottle of Quick draw. Uh, this stuff is awesome. So, you know, just yesterday I did a uh, shop talk, uh, Facebook Live, about lubricants and cleaning products, but specifically was talking about the, the difference or kind of when to use grease versus oil. And so we're, we're all very familiar with lubricants for our guns, but quick draw is really a lubricant for your holster. And what I, not only that, but it, it also cleans and helps your holster stay more clean than it otherwise probably would. It's a really clever, unique product. Uh, it, it, it helps with reducing uh, dirt and dust getting you know entrapped in that holster. Uh, but really what it does, especially, you don't want to use too much of it. It just need, it just re- requires a spray or two, uh, maybe, maybe two sprays inside your holster, and just sort of work that in, rub it around. It'll work on leather. It'll work on Kydex. It'll work on polymer. It doesn't matter. It's safe, on, safe to use on all those products. In fact, this actually contains lanolin, which is good. I mean, like, it's not a bad thing for leather. So anyway, a couple sprays of this inside your holster, work it around, and what you'll find is it'll keep things nice and clean and smooth on the draw, uh, and you can keep things your your draw stroke a lot more consistent. I, I have found so pretty cool product from Quick Draw. We're going to give away to one lucky winner this next week one of these. So how can you get signed up for that giveaway? Go to concealedcarry.com forward slash podcast prize and sign up for this week's giveaway for this quick draw product. So with that, it is time to sign on out of here. So with that, I hope you all take care, that you're safe out there, that you're spending some time training and improving on your skills. But don't forget to train right, train often, and train safe so you can fight hard, fight fast, and fight true. Take care. reminder that laws vary from place to place, and we encourage listeners to seek local legal advice to understand applicable laws. The Concealed Carry Podcast, Concealed Carry Inc., ConcealedCarry.com, and their affiliates strive to share insights and stories about firearm-related incidents and laws, but things could be different where you live, or laws may have changed by the time you listen to this. We cannot be held liable for your actions based on the information shared in this podcast.